Hello and welcome to CryptoCast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Matthias Bauer, Managing Director of UK and Ireland at Bitpanda, a digital investments platform. Hi Matthias, it's great to have you on. Hey James, thank you very much for having me. Great to be here. So I think it would be useful just to start with a couple of words of kind of what Bitpanda is and, and what Bitpanda is actually doing for, that, for those listeners who, who are new to seeing Bitpanda. Yeah, uh, more than happy to do that. Um, so Bitpanda is one of Europe's leading uh, investment, digital assets investment platform, and it was founded back in 2014. So it's a really a real pioneer in the crypto asset space. Um, today, Bitpanda offers smooth and secure trading of uh, over 100 crypto assets, but we also do precious metals and really interesting, um, I think, is also our offering on fractional shares. Um, and that includes not only you know US shares, but also European shares. So people can essentially invest starting from one euro in all these asset classes, crypto assets, precious metals, and fractional shares. Um, yeah, Bitpanda is actually one of Europe's fastest growing fintechs. It's headquartered in the lovely city of Vienna, uh, where I am from as well, and has got offices across Europe, including the UK and, and Ireland now. Um, yeah, from a regulatory side, uh, Bitpanda is already registered uh, as a VASP in two countries. Um, it's a licensed payments processor and the MIFID II investment firm. And um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really, really excited to be part of this uh, this company here uh, for Austria's first unicorn and build up the UK and Irish business. Um, maybe just uh, two seconds on, on myself. Um, prior to joining Bitpanda, uh, I was part of the FCA Innovate team where I set up the regulatory sandbox and worked uh, with uh, pretty much most of the distributed ledger technology based sandbox firms and uh, also led on DLT crypto assets policy, uh, including as part of the UK crypto assets task force. So that's been really interesting. I think one thing which is slightly unique about Bitpanda is the fact that you sell both crypto assets and securities alongside each other, which is interesting given the history because you tend to get people who kind of like crypto assets and those like just securities and the almost pitched of old versus new um, worlds, which are kind of fighting each other and working alongside each other. How have you found investors have reacted to the idea of selling securities and crypto signed? assets alongside each other. Uh, yeah, James, I think that's a really, really interesting point. And, and you know, also one of the reasons why I think Bitpanda is such an interesting company. Um, it just allows, you know, investing across all these different types of, of investment classes. <clears throat> I think um, these two classes will eventually merge. Uh, Bitpanda is, you know, a good example of how it could merge. Um, and I think, you know, in looking back, uh, crypto assets, they have been just, you know, associated with money laundering risks, with crime, with illicit activity. Um, but slowly, back in 2017, 18, probably, um, people uh, on the other side, so really more professional investors, uh, the, the sort of like wholesale market, they started to actually value the underpinning technology, distributed ledger technology. They, they didn't really want to engage with Bitcoin. It was still like nothing they could or wanted to touch, at least publicly. So they were much more focused on the technology. <clears throat> and now it seems that increasingly, people are not only seeing value in the underlying technology, this new decentralized infrastructure, they're also increasingly seeing value in crypto assets, including those that work on permissionless ledgers, including those that um, you know, are akin to, to Bitcoin. And, and I think there is loads of reasons why people start to see um, real value in crypto assets. Um, you know, one of the things that I think is most interesting about crypto assets is, you know, their digital uniqueness. Um, it's just incredible to have something digital that can't be copy pasted. Um, most coins do have some sort of scarcity, which also fuels interest. 
Um, I think it's really interesting to have new types of you know digital arts, so-called you know this non-fungible tokens NFTs. They're pretty interesting. There's completely new decentralized services available um, that require you to hold um, um, crypto assets. Um, you know th they could be used like utility coins, but it could also be seen as um, as some sort of investment because people believe in in the value of decentralized services, and they also think that the the, the value or the price of using these services as they become more popular will actually increase, hence the crypto assets will increase. I mean, the, the, they're still extremely risky investments, especially, you know, if you think about uh, crypto assets that are associated with um, new decentralized services um, that are sort of like a, yeah, completely new economic ways of thinking. Um, but um, I, can, I can definitely see that um, Others are also not even seeing it as an investment, and uh, and the adoption of crypto assets is more driven by the fact that they that some people, especially in, in countries where uh, currencies struggle to maintain their value um, with regards to other currencies, um, they they simply use crypto assets as a way to interact um, financially, to be financially more included, or to send cross border payments to each other. <clears throat> so. I think there's various reasons why people believe that crypto assets suddenly have value, and with increasing adoption and with you know increasing uh, user friendliness, accessibility of crypto assets, uh, and also a really important point for me with increasing regulatory certainty around how, um, including you know institutional investors should cope and can cope with crypto assets. I think this really drives. Uh, interest, um, but also adoption amongst institutions, which essentially leads to crypto assets being a much more acceptable um, asset class to invest in for both like retail, sophisticated technology uh, loving people, but also institutional um, financial institutions. <clears throat> and, you know, as, as these two merge together, I think, um, you know, it is it is really important to or we at least we think that i think personally that it will be more important to have to have uh, a platform that allows um, to invest in different asset classes depending on on the appetite and also um sort of like diversification um strategies of portfolios i can see that more and more people think that a well-balanced well-diversified portfolio um, could also include some type of crypto asset uh, because I, you're talking about how people coming in, I think the flip side is just giving your background that the FCA are now dealing with with a firm which is headquartered in Austria. How have you found the different regulators in terms of dealing with them when you want to sell crypto assets alongside traditional securities? Have they been friendly and receptive to the concept and have different regulators kind of been easier or harder to get on, get on with them trying to explain the source of business model? Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's true. I've got a, a regulatory, a long-lasting regulatory um, background, and I think it's you know it's quite interesting to work in these two types of um, asset classes because obviously crypto assets are not regulated like traditional shares, and you know companies working in the, with those products are regulated in a completely different way. I think um, it it was you know Bitpanda started off in two thousand fourteen with crypto assets, but um, they always had compliance in mind. So essentially, we treated uh, crypto assets uh, sort of akin to shares, which made it much easier um, to think about actually engaging in securities that are regulated by method. Um, that's, I think, a really important thing. Um, 
we we do see both asset classes um, as some sort of most of those uh, those uh, assets we we uh, sell in our asset classes. They they are investments, and as such, I think we uh, a platform needs to ensure that there is sufficient consumer protection, that there is sufficient uh, disclosure with regards to risks, and and just you know try to make everything right. That is sort of like the baseline. And I think this is, you know, a really healthy attitude in the crypto asset space that you increasingly see crypto assets firms, they want to become something more akin to an investment platform. And um, they, they are also more than willing and happy to actually uh, enhance their compliance programs. They already have to enhance their anti-money laundering uh, methods and, you know, monitoring skills. And and even if you look at uh, at LinkedIn, for example, there's, there's so many crypto asset firms that look for regulatory specialists. Um, so again, I think you know it's, it's sort of like converging. These two worlds are going to 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 converge. At the moment, they are pretty clearly separated from a regulatory perspective, um, as you rightly pointed out. Um, and that's also the, the the reason why you know a lot of firms are actually splitting those businesses in uh, a business that actually does crypto assets and uh, and the second um, company within the group that does MIFID lic uh, licensed services or e-money for example we can see this in, in pretty much uh, pretty much most of the bigger exchanges at the moment um yeah so i mean uh yeah as as you surely know you know the brexit happened um so we we are bitpanda is based in in austria um we've got licenses in austria but also other european countries and with regards to shares it's actually um, so much easier to work cross-border in Europe at the moment because you can passport your licenses to different countries. Uh, that makes it much easier than crypto assets. Uh, crypto assets at the moment, they're just, um, well, they require you to register as a virtual asset service providers in pretty much, well, in, in a lot of different uh, jurisdictions, um, you know, you want to do business with. Um, obviously, there are some nuances, um, but essentially you have to register your company with each and every regulator um, in every jurisdiction. And that's, you know, that's a lot of work and that slows, you know, growth down massively. Um, it, it, the UK is now uh, not part of the European Union anymore. So for most companies who are active in Europe and, for example, hold licenses uh, with the European National Competent Authorities, as they're called, um, they now have to have to ensure that they've got the, the the right regulatory and legal setup in the UK, which normally means you know applying for FCA licenses uh, and setting up like substantial uh, and and good organisations here in the UK. And um, yeah, I, I mean honestly, the UK is probably not one of the easiest markets to enter. Um, the, the FCA is is a very well known, highly regarded regulator. And uh, they have put a very high bar on crypto assets firms to enter. And, um, you know, we, I mean, I can just talk about Bitpanda. I think uh, the, the UK is just a really attractive market. Um, and not only in terms of, you know, market potential, but also in terms of the whole crypto assets uh, ecosystem here, uh, potential partners, um, potential clients. It's just, it's just, you know, it's just the fintech hub of Europe. So for, for us, you know, it's a no brain to come to the UK. Um, and, uh, uh, yeah, we're, but we're also expanding into into other European countries at the moment, um, and and they're all going different different ways. So the, the UK has implemented five MLD um, and put really high a high bar on it, which I think is a, is a good idea uh, because it will just help um, legitimate firms who are well prepared to to pass it and uh, you know 
try to make it much more difficult for others to uh, to come into the market, essentially lifting up the standards of the whole crypto assets industry. Um, yeah, Germany is a completely different case. Um, then, you know, there's, there's Mika. I think it's, it's really hard to say, you know, which jurisdiction is sort of like the best one to establish a company um, uh, or, or the easiest one. Uh, I think a bit panda, we're really trying to, to be where customers are and not where the regulatory landscape is advantageous for us. And um, yeah, so um, we're really looking forward to, to finally, you know, being ready to like, um, yeah, go, go to the market uh, at 150%. I think just one of the points you mentioned before is this distinction between equity and crypto assets, but that kind of falls away when people talk about kind of tokenized equity or, or any other form of security where it's trading in crypto asset form. There are very few people kind of looking at this. What are your views on, on kind of tokenized securities? Do you think they're kind of just a gimmick or do you think they're going to be a, a large industry in their own right? Um, yeah, so I think back in my FCA days, I was working with quite a few firms um, who worked on tokenized securities. And um, I have to honestly say that I think they're going to change the way that financial markets will work in the future. Probably not in three, uh, maybe not in five, but most likely in 10 years. I know that uh, most people uh, have got a slightly different view on it, um, simply because you know the idea is that centralized exchanges are so much more efficient than decentralized infrastructure can ever be. Um, they argue that decentralization doesn't really make a lot of sense in the market that is essentially built around trust and central entities, uh, like you know the financial markets are. They, they are built around um, trusted relationships. They're built around central counterparties, uh, and they're built around you know, centralized, regulated, heavily regulated exchanges that pool liquidity together. Um, and then at the moment, of course, there's also still a lot of uns uh, legal and regulatory uncertainty uh, around tokenized equities and um, how they can actually be, you know, traded, settled um, with regards to various, you know, post-trade regulation, CSDRs and so on. Um, uh, yeah, but my take is is still, you know, despite all these difficulties, my take is actually slightly different. Um, although centralized infrastructure will always be more efficient than decentralized infrastructure, I really think that the DLT um, and the use of DLT um, could bring a lot of potential benefits to the market. And when I say that the use of DLT, I'm, I'm fully aware that uh, this is a so customizable technology. It will essentially depend on how you build infrastructure and uh, how that infrastructure operates in order to be able to actually harness these types of benefits or mitigate possible risks we see now. You know, you could have permission networks, you could have permissionless networks, you, you could run ledgers or tokens, and it's, it's, really, it's really dependent on what the infrastructure actually features and looks like. But, you know, generally speaking, I think using blockchain technology, DLT in any way, shape or form, um, could help the industry um, to enhance the, the degree of automation massively. You could think about dividend payouts to token holders, <clears throat> no matter where they live, no matter whether they um, they have a bank account at a specific institution or they moved on or changed their addresses. Um, you could think about baked-in regulation, for example, um, simply by you know technically limiting uh, the tradability of a token. Um, you could whitelist some countries, some different types of assets uh, or, or, or investor classes. 
Um, but you know, the, the product itself could also be automated, like uh, flight insurance that we've seen um, in life with, I think it was AXA uh, back in those days, um, where essentially the whole insurance contract was part of an Ethereum smart contract that um, did receive information via uh, an Oracle um, in case a flight was delayed. And whenever the flight was delayed, uh, the smart contract would pay, uh, would trigger a payout to the client. So, you know, the, the insurance contract is completely automated and there is no back office necessary at all. So, you know, th there could be a high degree of automation. But then even if you think about it, um, DLT systems, they could run 24-7, they could run globally, they could be uh, much more transparent, they could be much more resilient because of their decentralized nature. They could allow for atomic swaps. Um, so basically, you know, exchanging a security for cash uh, at the same time. So there is no need for a CCP, which is a pretty expensive uh, market infrastructure. Of course, this raises the question of whether, you know, whether and how we actually get ledger um, to hold cash. Um, is this going to be a CBDC? Is this going to be some sort of stable coin? Um, the future will tell. But I also think it's, it's quite interesting to have something that, or an asset that you yourself can hold uh, you don't need a third party to hold it. Um, there is no, you know, no need for reconciliation, even if two wholesale banks, for example, um, um, contract via DLT platform and you know have various derivatives flying around each other and, and you know between each other, um, which makes it sometimes really difficult to actually assess uh, the current financial position with regards to a counterparty. So you know, having these these ledgers uh, allows you to have a golden source of truth and both. Have, entities uh, contracting with each other or even more uh, just know what's actually happening um, yeah CSDs um, so central security depositories where you know securities need to be held in order to be able to be traded on uh, regulated exchanges they surely will look completely different in that scenario um, you know and, and interestingly I think this is all great um, but it will stay till still take uh, quite a long time um, for for these benefits to materialize because it is market infrastructure. You don't change market infrastructure overnight. Um, the market needs incentives and I think um, this will take its time. The, the the plumbing at the moment, even though you know there are some some players in the market who offer tokenized securities and they are growing um, and they're really interesting. Uh, but I think there's still some issues around plumbing all of that security token offering into traditional um, infrastructure, you know, so when you have a, a tokenized security, how do you ensure it's part of a CSD in order to be uh, traded on a regulated venue, all of those those things, um, or I don't know, classical example of regulatory uncertainty still is, you know, this probabilistic settlement where essentially the blockchain doesn't 100% uh, secure uh, that a trade is being settled. And, you know, all these issues, um, will still need to be tackled but in the end um, i'm sure that uh, dlt has got the potential and will be um, changing financial market infrastructure i think just last question just because in the uk we see things like mica happening in europe and we see kind of what the fca is saying in terms of potentially regulating things like stable coins from your perspective what do you see as the impact of regulation on, on kind of crypto <laughs> more broadly moving forward for the foreseeable future do you other particular things which are keeping you up at night? Um, yeah, I mean, there's loads of things that keep me up at night uh, at, at the moment, but not everything is related to regulation. I think regulation is extremely welcome by the industry. 
Um, one of the things that uh, crypto asset firms and you know, including firms that just use blockchain technology in some some instances, what they really would appreciate is more regulatory certainty. Because with more regulatory certainty, expectations from regulators are clearer. Um, uh, business partners, especially from the traditional financial services industry, are more willing, more happy to engage. Uh, and you know, this, this starts with simple things like uh, bank accounts um, and, and ends with you know, having partners that are actually you know, working as your custodian bank, for example. So I think with, with increasing clarity in regulation uh, you will see that there is a much that there's a drive to more professionalism uh, even more professionalism than now you will see that there is even more people moving from traditional finance to uh, to the crypto asset space and you know this is already happening at, at, at even highest levels but this will increase and you will will uh, see that um, crypto assets firms are more moving towards like more traditional finance um, offerings. And uh, I think at the same time, traditional finance will move much more towards crypto assets because it's, it's just you know, a, a huge asset class, crypto assets per se. It's just a huge asset class um, that not only retail and also institutional investors ask for, um, but that is, ha also has the potential to actually change the way that portfolios will be managed in terms of diversification and so on. Um, and yeah, I basically see regulation as a key part to enable um, better adoption and and this merge of crypto assets and the institutional institutional world. And you know, as Bitpanda has proven so far, you know, you can you can have these assets work alongside each other. And you know, interestingly, um, when when you look at at, uh, at our customer base, you know, a lot of people are coming for crypto assets, and um, they are happy to invest in in. In Bitcoin, for example, because you see some value in it or, or any other of the hundreds plus crypto assets. And to start to essentially think about monetary policy, they start asking questions around why is Bitcoin not money? What is money? And you know, they're getting really interested in financial concepts. And, and because they're getting interested in financial concepts, they also start to get uh, much more interest into traditional financial markets. They start to explore stocks. They try to understand what the difference uh, or what they, they actually do understand a lot uh, around the difference between crypto assets and shares, they are more likely to actually invest in shares. And, and we see a lot of people join the platform, they buy crypto assets. Um, a lot of them also go through the academy and you know, learn more about financial services more broadly. And then they start investing in crypto assets. So I think these two, these two spaces will essentially also, you know, enable entry into each other so crypto assets is drawing much more uh, especially retail of course retail investors into this space and and they are here to stay but not only for crypto but also for uh, traditional shares and and equally as you know institutions with enhanced regulatory frameworks and more confidence around how these things actually work and what what they are they will increasingly get into into that crypto asset space that's been really interesting thank you Matthias. Um, if anyone listening would like to reach out, Matthias' email is Matthias, M-A-T-T-H-I-A-S dot R B A U E R at bitpanda.com. Matthias, it's been really interesting. Thank you very much for coming on. Thank you very much, James. Uh, I really enjoyed it too. 
Thank you for listening to our latest podcast. Gunnercook has a market-leading blockchain, crypto assets, and DeFi team, providing legal advice across the whole of the blockchain ecosystem. Our members have been heavily involved in helping shape the legal and regulatory framework for blockchain and crypto assets from the start, meaning that we have an intuitive understanding of our clients' needs and can provide focused, pragmatic advice at predictable cost. For more information, please visit our website. Thank you again.